Welcome everyone to today's devotion. Uh, hopefully this is working. I was having some connection issues earlier. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 13 today, and really a chapter that gets overlooked. Paul is beginning his um, ministry with Barnabas, and he, he has both success and suffering. This is going to be the pattern throughout the rest of the book, and really for throughout all of Paul's ministry. So starts here in verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And we get their names. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manain, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and set them away. So it's interesting that we have several names here, uh, most of whom play no significant role in the story. Again, Luke is identifying for us witnesses and um, encouraging the reader to actually go and talk to uh, these characters. And the two important for us is Paul and uh, Barnabas. Well, from there they move on to Cyprus. I, I don't want to spend forever on all these places and, and what happens. Um, we, 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 they, they, they're confronted with a, a sorcerer and a false Jewish prophet named Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus. Jesus was a very common name at this time. It just means Joshua. So a lot of Jews named their child after uh, Joshua, the one that led Israel into the promised land. Um, but verse 9 um, says, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at, this is Bar-Jesus, he, he goes by another name, um, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now, I want to highlight this for a few reasons. One is um, this sort of approach to ministry would be deemed unacceptable today. Paul directly confronts someone who stands in the way of, of, of the work of ministry. And so he uses very strong and direct language. Imagine if a minister did that today. Would we accept that, um, even though there is biblical precedent for it? Um, it, it? It is something for us to, to really meditate upon and, and think about why is it that, that we wouldn't accept this the way, way we used to. Um, the other thing you have, we need to note here, I've hinted at this in previous chapters. And one is the issue of Paul's name. Is his name Saul or is it Paul? Was it changed from Saul to Paul? What is that? Well, I don't want to rain on anyone's parade, but Paul did not change his name from Saul. Um, before his conversion and after his conversion, his name remained Saul. Saul is the Hebrew name for the Greek Paul. So whether you call him Saul or Paul, you're talking about the same person. One is Hebrew, one is Greek. It is similar to a lot of people who um, may immigrate to America uh, or wherever. Uh, you may get an um, as your name or get a very different name that is easier to pronounce. My wife's um, third roommate in college uh, was from, um, oh, it just left me. Um, it's an Asian country. That's going to bother me. Anyways, um, she adopted the name Irene. Well, um, we asked, what is your birth name from where you're from? And she would tell us, and we're like, we'll stick with Irene, right? Uh, so, so that was a very gracious thing that she did for us to help us um, 
say her name and, and all, all that sort of stuff. Essentially what Paul is doing. Um, he's called Saul multiple times after his conversion. Jesus himself calls him uh, Saul after his conversion. You'll notice here that Luke says, Then Saul, who was also called Paul. And it is Luke who really uh, starts calling him Paul. I suspect he goes by Paul predominantly in the rest of Acts and in his letters because he's primarily among uh, a Gentile audience. So being that Paul is more of the Greek name, um, he goes by by that name. Uh, but just fun little fact, um, I don't think a lot of people think much about. Um, then he goes to Pisidian Antioch. And, and I, what I want to highlight is his pattern here. Um, one is he enters the synagogue and teaches and preaches to the Jews. And uh, I encourage you to read really starting um, verse 16 when he stands up to teach. Um, going all the way down, um, really most of the chapter, um, um, at least to, oh man, verse 48, something like that. Um, Paul gives us a biblical theology beginning with Abraham and climaxing in the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and so it's a really helpful passage to, to understand the preaching of the early church, uh, their theology, and to remind ourselves that the early church had a Bible that we call the Old Testament, and they were content with it. And uh, Paul used that Old Testament in order to proclaim the good news. Well, I want to skip down to verse 26. I, I don't want to look at everything. He goes to Abraham and Moses and David and all that. Verse 26, fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles. Remember, he's, he's in a synagogue outside of Jerusalem. So there are Gentiles there. It is to us that the, this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and the rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee, Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us. Their children are raising up Jesus. And here you get the entire Old Testament summarized as a climax in Christ. Now this is important for us to not only appreciate the early church preaching, but also to understand that um, how we read the Old Testament is unique as Christians. We read it as a fulfillment, um, as being fulfilled in Jesus. So everything in the Old Testament finds its climax and its fulfillment in Jesus. And that's the approach Paul has here. Whether he's talking about Abraham or Moses or David, he's ultimately going to talk about Jesus. So he says, going down to verse 38, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Although I think this is largely a, an overlooked chapter, it's got some real rich gems in it. Here is a great summary of the gospel. With the death and resurrection of Jesus is the forgiveness of sins, which is then proclaimed. So, so we must hear and believe and receive it. Um, and then we get freedom from sin. So forgiveness leads to freedom. Uh, those two are important. 
You don't just get forgiveness and then you can do whatever you want. No, there's forgiveness from sin and then freedom um, from sin. And then out of that comes justification. The law will not justify us. It will condemn us, make us guilty. Uh, we're getting that with woke religion now, right? It seems like no matter how many apologies you make, there is no grace with woke religion. Well, that's pretty predictable, honestly, but um, but there's no grace in the law of Moses. You break the law, then there's no hope for you. Um, but Paul comes, or Saul, whichever name you want to use, um, comes and says, no, there is justification in Christ, who is the fulfillment of the Mosaic law. Skip down to verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. So basically they preach, people respond well. They come back the next week looking for a similar response, and that's where the opposition is. This is going to be the pattern. Paul begins with the Jews in every city in the synagogues. He'll eventually have to turn to the Gentiles. This starts the pattern in chapter 13. Um, so Paul and Barnabas answered their critics boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourself worthy of eternal life, we now turn to, turn to the Gentiles. What amazing language that is. You do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. You've rejected um, the hope that is in the world. Um, and then I want to read the, the final paragraph. Verse 49, The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is another pattern. So chapter 13 is very important for setting the stage for what everything that, that comes next. Here we see that there is initial success followed by uh, increased persecution. And then pause go to the Gentiles, but the, the persecution follows them. So, um, so they, they leave the area. Here they literally wipe the dust off their feet. That's a, a Jewish symbolic way of saying, you know, I, 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 I fulfilled my ministry. I've done what I've called to do. You're on your own, basically. Um, it's really an act of judgment, a symbolic act of judgment. Uh, and so Paul and Barnabas have to do this. But you see there, verse 52, the disciples were filled with joy of the Holy Spirit despite the circumstances, despite the persecution. And when we read the New Testament, let us ask ourselves, if I were in their shoes, would I respond the same way? And I'm going to tell you right now in America, the answer is no. Far too many of us can't handle the circumstances we're in now, which pales in comparison to the circumstances Paul and Barnabas found themselves in, having to flee a, a city for the sake of their lives. And yet, despite that, the, the local believers, the disciples, were full of joy, even though the world hated them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It should really convict us uh, that, that we, we've... We, we, this is an area that I think we need to grow in. Can we be a people of joy despite circumstances or not? And the key, according to verse 52, is the Holy Spirit. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit will possess joy and not limit it to their circumstances. Well, that's chapter 13. Lord willing, we'll be in chapter 14, and hopefully I'll be in the office. I went running outside earlier today. The road's still being cleared. I think the city and the county's doing great but stayed home uh, and worked from home regardless. So hopefully see you guys tomorrow, Lord willing, from the office. See you then.